Welcome to the Show Me The Money podcast, unlocking property finance. Join us on an exciting journey into the world of property finance, where we uncover secrets, strategies, and opportunities that can turn your property dreams into a lucrative reality. Welcome to Show Me The Money, unlocking property finance. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance. Today, we've got a special guest um, who you'll hear all about in a moment. But uh, I'm Ro Sharma, obviously joined by Mark Champ. And, Hi, everybody. Uh, over to you, Mark. So thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for that, Ro. And uh, yeah, it's our honour and our privilege to have uh, Alex uh, Sapala with us, who um, is my joint uh, host at PPN Brentwood. Uh, Alex and I have known each other for uh, probably a year or so now, something like that, I yeah, would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and um, we, we've got to know each other pretty well, understand each other's journeys, and we thought this would be an interesting one for our listeners to, uh, to uh, hear and learn from. So, Alex, welcome. Um, would you like to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Uh, yes. No, thank you very much, guys, for uh, inviting me to um, come and uh, share some of my uh, experience with you guys. So, um, I mean, my background is uh, um, finance. So, I'm a chartered accountant by profession. So, I have uh, been working or I've worked within the investment banking space for um, the best part of over 10 years. Um, but um, uh, with uh, um, and I, I trained with uh, Deloitte and then I went into banking, worked for the global banking and markets with the Royal Bank of Scotland and then moved into investment banking with JP Morgan in 2010. Uh, but um, behind that for me, my vision and my drive had been of a different nature in terms of uh, creating a bit of a financial time freedom for myself in order to pursue what I call life on my terms, which essentially uh, creating a legacy for my family and some of the charity work that I do, but also into the space of uh, knowledge sharing. So with that, uh, I also run a podcast, the Business Worth and Mindset uh, podcast. And I've written some books. There's an Amazon number one bestseller, The Business Path to Work Creation. And uh, I uh, also obviously host the uh, PPN uh, Brentwood with you, Mark. And uh, I run some an, an academy as well, Elite Edge Academy, where I do training and mentorship for people as well. But behind that, the whole main reason for me to create, like I said, the the financial time freedom is so that I can do this stuff in the background. So the vehicle that I actually picked up to actually give me that financial time freedom has been the property space. Uh, so I've been uh, investing in property since really 20, uh, kind of 2010. I mean, I stumbled on it actually by... Uh, I wouldn't say accident, but it, I had a light bulb moment in the sense that uh, when I was working for RBS in those good old days, you could get 100% mortgages for staff, actually. I mean, those days are probably well gone now. But they were even paying for my legal fees. I literally just called up uh, the people up on the property 
he needs ABCD and they literally, I didn't have to pay a penny. So uh, that was the time when I was actually living in, in St. Albans. Uh, and then, uh, you know, having a family and I had kids and then my wife, we needed a bit of support with the kids. So we had to move to Essex yeah, in Wickford. And uh, at the time I actually just inquired about it. It was a question of whether we sell it and buy something else there. So I just made an inquiry like, how do we actually keep it and just buy something else uh, over over there in Essex? And the bank actually authorized it. So yeah, you can keep it. And then we kept it, rented it. And I discovered at that point, actually, I was making more money after paying the mortgage than who were receive, you know, receiving rent and paying less. So it was a bit of a light moment. And then I started thinking, wow, what if I had uh, 10 of these? Essentially, I wouldn't need to actually work. And from that point on, on I, I started to invest into uh, my knowledge of property, find out what I could do, the three things you need in property, which is your time, experience, and the money, and so on and so forth. So uh, long story short, some 10 years later, I built up a portfolio. Uh, I help work with people, do JVs, uh, armchair investors, people who are looking to build a portfolio. They are maybe uh, cash rich, but they are time or experience poor. We'll provide value and help those um, within that space. So I've had quite uh, a lot of uh, experience within the the money game, working with uh, various uh, obviously, um, brokers and, and banks and challenger banks and all of that on the finance side of, of, of property. But it, it's certainly given me this the stuff of my dreams, which is that financial and time freedom to to essentially live life on on, on my terms. So that's kind of the overall of my journey, you know. <laughs> what sort of okay. what sort of properties uh, what sort of properties have you typically invested in um, and what, what makes up your portfolio? Um, yeah, so I, I started off because I took like a kind of structured approach to property investing. So when I when I um, stumbled upon you know these three hour courses where you you learn about property and then and got into myself into a twelve month mastermind, the starting point was uh, you know your standard buy to let, but. Uh, with the idea, because when I started, I didn't have any any money. But the training company that I worked with, the lady who was running it, um, actually had like a private bank. So for people that she was training, you were able to borrow money on bridging from her, but only on the right deals, because they would vet the deals as well. So even though they were buy to let, there were ones which uh, needed work. So you'll find like a rundown one, do some work, refinance, and then kind of um, um, repay back uh, the bridging and, and make them either no money down or as little money left in as possible. So I started off with, uh, I think my first three were just standard buy to let. And then from then on, I kind of, um, uh, as a natural progression of an ambitious property guru, wanted to get into a bit of the bigger, more complex stuff. Uh, which moved me into the HMO space. Uh, and that's the kind of space, uh, because my focus is going to be the uh, as little money left in as possible. So with the HMO space, we found that uh, when you took uh, just a standard uh, ordinary house, turned that into a HMO, 
the likes of uh, the Sherbrooke Bank, you know, where Mark, you've worked with them, the Challenger Bank, they were available to actually, because when you change a standard house into an HMO, you've essentially turned it into an investment asset. And then the, those uh, Challenger Banks were able to actually uh, revalue that on a commercial basis and then lend you on its commercial value rather than its bricks and mortar. And then which enabled you to actually pull some money back and then go again. So I did that for, um, I think we barreled up, you know, uh, over the years, I think the portfolio of HMOs is about um, 40, nearly 50 of those. But uh, essentially it was because we are able to this rinse and repeat, you know, do them. So the, the um, investor that we were working with, they will put the funds who do the project um, and then refinance and then go again. So with the same pot of cash, we're able to, to do a lot more. It's much harder to do these days, which is why we've uh, adapted because in a, in a, with, with property, one of the key things is you have to adapt to the market and even places as well. So where have we started off in the Midlands, Coventry, we've expanded into some areas like uh, Middlesbrough, Doncaster. Now we do the semi-commercial conversions, so including title splits. So we'll find like a mixed use, which is a shop and flats above, buy those cash, split the titles, convert the shop into resi, uh, and then refinance that separate as well, which uh, again, with our objective of uh, uh, not running out of cash enables us to pull all the money or most of the money and go again as well. So the focus has always been that to leave as little money as possible so that you can build a portfolio with the same pot of cash. So uh, to summarize the answer is, yeah, we've got a combination of vitalists, a lot of HMOs, and a lot of uh, um, uh, flats that we've done uh, uh, mixed use, semi-commercial to resi conversion. Thank so you. you say... You were, sorry, right? You were saying when you first started, you were using private bridging money. The whole yeah. landscape of borrowing must have changed over the 10, 15 years that you've been been doing this. Um, mm -hmm. what, what sort of changes have you seen? And have you started using more conventional finance or do you still prefer the investor type finance? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it changed massively. Um, and I mean, that's, that's reflected even, I think, the lady who was doing that, I think they, they no longer do that. But, uh, and also, obviously, with the changes, uh, with the Section 24, whereby we used to buy property at that time in our personal names with the JVs. Now, obviously, uh, because you can't claim interest relief when you buy it in your own name, that has shifted as well. So we now found ourselves um, like, uh, I mean, the the, the, the first two on the refinance, uh, I actually did with the high street, I think, because my mortgage was with the Royal Bank of Scotland, they were also able to do buy to let, and some of the high street banks were actually doing that. But now, obviously, having to go more into limited companies, the shift uh, has been more into uh, a lot of the challenger banks where, you know, there's a, a lot more flexibility in terms of the lending. Uh, so the likes of, like I mentioned, Showbroke, Paragon, I think we use HPB as well, Lending Invest and quite a few other ones. 
So I've 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 seen over the years that these these banks have been a lot more flexible, and even in the spaces where we've we've needed to uh, because some somewhere along the process I actually pulled a bit of equity for my house to, to you know to put some funds into there. So we would use some of the bridging guys like uh, I think Octopus and and all of those kind of things. So we've uh, actually mixed it up, but I have found a lot of uh, flexibility, especially when you work with with brokers. Some brokers do have that personal touch with some of these banks, and they can actually be a lot more creative. And uh, remember, Mark, you know, from your presentation yesterday, you know, you touched upon some of the things that uh, you know yeah. brokers can do in terms of uh, not not kind of breaking the rules, but bypassing and being flexible with some Can of you give the some examples that... just just to help our audience well, give us some examples of the sorts of creative uh, structures you're going to achieve um yeah so so for example working with uh, uh with 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 Shawbrook, um in the sense that because when when i when i was i was starting i was pulling in investors as well who didn't have experience so in in for 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 example, if you're looking to get uh, uh, some of the lending with Shawbrook, you needed to be an experienced investor to have you might be like three four properties behind you before you can get like a mortgage product, which is a more complex product. So when speaking with some of the the BDMs, you know they could uh, structure something in the sense that if if myself as an experienced property investor, I am behind. Uh, or we do like a JV with the person who is just starting, you know, they could leverage me to say, okay, we can get that person on board. You know, something which might be standard banks or high students who are just rigid, they probably can't be creative in terms of allowing people to actually do those kind of things. And uh, uh, even you, you, you would find uh, in some spaces whereby uh, either you are, you know, if it's an HMO at that time, which needed licensing, you know, the licensing is not yet in place, but it is, uh, uh, you know, pending. You know, they could make a call uh, or even indemnify some things like uh, our planning and stuff like that as well. So you could get a bit of flexibility along along those those lines as well. So the challenger banks tend, tended to be more flexible with that compared to uh, in a standard bank who would just follow like you know this is what you have to do if you don't have that paperwork then we can't lend so that's some of the examples that i found uh, with regards to finance as well for the complex stuff and i think that's that's worth touching on if you if you think lenders are in the game of lending money so they will mm. find any reason to lend that money and the yeah. The BDMs are targeted mainly to to get that money out the door, so they will do what they can to to make sure a loan happens, especially if it's a, a larger loan. So there is obviously due diligence and an underwriting process that has to be adhered yeah. to, but you can position things in in different ways. And I remember one deal I did at, at Shawbrook that initially was was turned down, um, but. After you actually talked through the risk, understood the, the risks of the deal, they were able to make exceptions uh, against this. And it was really um, encouraging that it, it, people were listening to the actual um, 
the risk aspect rather than what you see a lot more nowadays where it's a tick box you know have they got 12 yeah. months experience tick you know all those sorts of things and it's i hope it doesn't stray too far away from a risk-based lending approach because that's when problems happen because there's such a lack of flexibility and it's very hard for new people to enter yeah. the market so I think um, Shawbrook were good at, good at that back in the day. Um, mm. Harder to talk to people, in my opinion, at some of the lenders now. But yeah. you really, um, when you've got a good broker, a good intermediary, you can yeah. bridge that gap and make you know give yourself the best opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched upon key important points there, and there. I guess maybe just you know checking back with you guys like in in the days one of the 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 key benefits that helped me launch the the strategy as well was that uh, because when when you're looking like uh, you you're doing the strategy like the one I was doing to leave as little money as possible one of the challenges is that if you're buying something you don't know even if it's going to take you 5 months 6 months to do you're banking that your end value is going to land to where you need it to be for exactly, you to pull all exactly. the money out. Yeah? And that's always a big challenge. But at the time, uh, Showbrook had this product, which was uh, a short-term loan, whereby they would lend you uh, on um, buying it now, like they would give you uh, 75% of, of the purchase. Uh, but because you're turning it an HMO a commercial, your valuation will already incorporate now with like with your design what the end value will be so the commercial yeah. value will actually give you that what the end value will be so it build in already the certainty that uh, you know yeah, your, gonna your bridge to term your bridge yeah. to term products which are still yeah. uh, you know i know i know people Absolutely. have used those relatively recently yeah. as well let's let's focus on um I guess what you're seeing today because i think it's, it's interesting yeah. to have uh, you know the mm. the strategies of 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 what we used to do and, and obviously mm. um, leaving as little money in as possible is, is, is obviously the, um, the, the, the holy grail of, um, yeah. of, of property investment, but it's very difficult mm. to achieve today because of the capital values and the, you know, well, yeah. the, the valuation risk and obviously capital values on acquisition now. So tell us a little bit about what you're focusing on strategy on now and, and how you had to tweak some of those, um, those expectations um, when it comes to, how much money you leave in the deal, and perhaps it'd be interesting to hear what your your kind of criteria are for for accepting a deal. So whether you know whether you're going to actually go ahead and, and then transact on it, depending on how much money you got to leave in and what the return is. Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, at the moment, because um, obviously the HMO space um, um, tends to be uh, admin heavy in terms of uh, you know management and licensing and rules. Um, and uh, like you, you rightly say, at the moment, it's very challenging to actually achieve, uh, you know, pulling all your money out in deals. So what we've uh, shifted to over the last year and moving forward has been the, uh, the um, utilizing the, uh, uh, the permitted development rights in uh, things like uh, commercial to resi convergence. So we are picking up a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, semi uh, commercial or semi or mixed use properties, and typically they are the ones which have got a shop and uh, uh, a flat above, 
uh, you know, the, the, the ideal ones that, that you can find, what we are doing with those is the title splits. So we would buy a unit, which, you know, might be two flats and a big shop uh, below, buy them cash, split the titles uh, so that each flat is on a separate title and then uh, convert the uh, the commercial unit into residential as well. And then we we'll go to the lenders uh, to actually remortgage these separately. Can uh, I ask a question on that? Sorry to just bust in. Yeah. When you've, mm -hmm. you've obviously got the retail downstairs and the two residential upstairs, yeah. what work do you do to establish whether you're going to get planning permission on that retail unit before you uh, do the transaction? Uh, so we've, we've already got a, a power team of, uh, you know, but an architect who works with us, who has done quite a lot of this with the, with the council. And I mean, if you look in the, in the uh, permitted development rights, you already know what qualifies within, with, within that. So uh, this makes this retail, uh, they fall into that category. So you already know all it is is just a, a a PD application to the council, and they don't take long because they are not within the planning guidelines. So it's not an eight-week process. Usually within four weeks, uh, you you can apply to the council, establish the concept that they fall under PD. Once you get that, you're you're good to go. Then we just go uh, title splits and work out how we're gonna uh, do the works, uh, and then our um kind of. Uh, uh, refinance strategy after that actually so that that's how we've been uh, we've been up, up, approaching these and uh, once you establish that relationship uh, with uh, your power team like the architects under the council they know what we're actually doing uh, and uh, yeah so that that's been uh, working quite well under this the, you, you you tend to find the sum of the three when you do them individually works out to uh, as close as possible to pulling our money out of living as little as possible uh, as, as a strategy in itself. So uh, there, there are, as you guys know, because we, we are, when you're splitting a freehold, it will create like leases for the flats of 999 or 125 years and so on. And that obviously gets to be directed to specific lenders, the likes of, is it West One or um, there's quite a few who actually uh, we are able to use to and have you been using case. have you been using bridging finance to buy these or is it private finance um we, we've actually been using uh private private finance for the buying but interesting having having said that we had actually currently uh three deals that uh, that came up uh, and we could only uh buy one but we didn't want to miss out on the other uh, two so what we did was we bought the one cash and then used the bridging uh to using this existing cash one as security to borrow money to buy the other one so it's always a bit of a mix uh uh you know if you have something you can provide as security you can still that, using have, use bridging just just um just uh, I think it'd be great to go through the detail of this. this is, I think people will definitely yeah. find it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So if you're if you're buying it in cash, um yeah. particularly that sort of joint venture joint venture money yeah. working with an investor, it doesn't require security as such because it effectively yeah. own the asset. So you can cross collateralize and use that as security for bridging on, yeah. on the other asset. And yeah. just um 
on the on the financing of these and just as a reminder so your focus is really on the in the northeast and in the midlands is that where you're finding these sorts of deals as well yes absolutely i mean typically because obviously the money goes a bit further there you know, yeah. because the yields are much higher you stand a better chance of living as little money as possible further up compared to london or this yeah. kind of area but not to say that there isn't deals here in fact we're actually looking at uh, a development in in South End, actually, just on top of the Cliffs Pavilion. Mark, you may know. Do you know what up. somebody else, somebody? Oh, it was probably your the partner looking at it with you yesterday. Yes, that's. The... And I was like, that's just around the corner from me. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You see, so there there are opportunities up and about, and we're always looking. Uh, so so yeah, uh, that there is one that we're 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 looking to do. Uh, to do there but uh but typically yes it, it it will be and and one of the reasons as well why you actually um do cash is because if you if you're buying a freehold and you're going to split the titles uh if you if it's already mortgaged for you to do the title split obviously you have to get the consent of the lender and yep. most lenders either they will you know ask for more details or valuations it can get a bit complex but if you buy something cash split the titles even if you just split the titles and then mortgage the flat immediately as a separate flat you know then you pull a bit of your money then it it removes just some other complications of you looking to see consent which can take time and so on and so forth yeah and as much as yeah people are able to buy cash but obviously Maybe not a lot of people are in a position to do that, and there's other ways that you can actually do it as well. So let's talk a minute about the the things you're doing to increase the value. Obviously, you're splitting yeah. the title, which is something which makes a difference. You're looking at yeah. converting the commercial to residential um, using yeah. the various prior approval PD yeah. rights for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so class MA presumably is is what you target for that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the um, on the residential parts, obviously. Um, they be they wouldn't be on leases already, obviously, because it's still a one single freehold title. What do you do to the resi elements existing? Do you um let the the tenancies run out so that you can then refurbish, increase the value of those? Um, well, what what sort of what sort of um model do you do you, do you employ there? Um, so I mean, I ideally when we buy, we ask for vacant possession, like right. uh, so 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 that we we have the whole. Uh, place empty but if you can't achieve that you can still work uh, with existing uh, tenancies which we have done before uh, it typically works well if uh, there isn't much work required because most of the stuff we're looking needs a little bit of work of some sort and if there's no one there we have to go uh, in and do all of that because there is um, when, when you're doing this is uh, still a, a, you know when you're separating dwellings to make them individual dwellings is bits like uh, you know entrances and sound things that you have to to work including the services so everything has to probably be rewired depending on how it's actually yeah. uh, uh set up so there is all that but we we look at that on a on a case by case basis to see how much work is involved because we've already got like a process we know exactly you know uh, how this work or what's going to happen and what we need but uh, yeah typically we would ideally get them on a vacant position so that we just play around uh, with what we need in one go uh, rather than um, uh, but 
but uh, because uh, like I say, if it's a, a shop with a flat and they are on the same like you know water or gas or whatever, then it becomes a bit tricky for you to work on the commercial units without yep. interrupting the the uh, the gas Services, and the yeah. shops and so on. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. given given that we all have we all have uh, sort of banking finance backgrounds, obviously uh, <laughs> Alex, you've got a good strong accounting background. I know a lot yeah. of our listeners obviously are, are always keen to hear about metrics and numbers uh, and KPIs mm. to try and evaluate, you know, their own or benchmark their own investment opportunities. So tell us a little bit about, we know about the areas you look at. Typically, yeah. what sort of acquisition um, value ranges do you do you look at for this model? Um, what yeah. sort of uplift do you typically look to achieve to, to kind of mm-hmm. accept a deal? Um, yeah. And what are your kind of key, key investment um, sort of, return criteria yeah okay cool that's a it's a brilliant question actually um at the very top end we are looking for like uh infinite yields i mean obviously these are the, the, the deals whereby you pull all your money out and you have nothing invested and they are fully mortgaged uh like we said before these are far uh, in between these days you actually get so uh, typically our criteria now has fallen into about uh, 25% yield on the money left in uh, yeah. so that we have uh, like a, a four-year uh, payback period, as it were, of all our money. Our money back. Or, uh, so, so 25% return on capital employed, I guess, uh, how some yeah. people like to look at it as well. Yeah. Yes, so you, yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so if, if, if we, um, um, yeah. Uh, let, let let's say a, a deal that's that's costing us uh, in ter- in terms of values like I mean up up north we are on average buying these at up to about the hundred and fifty k mark yeah? okay so um and and uh, uh, as a a kind of minimum we look to create uh, two bed flats but obviously if you can squeeze in. Uh, an extra, even it's one bed, as long as it's around, uh, we work on a minimum for one bed of about 38 to 40 square meters. Uh, because typically, uh, again, going back to mortgage lenders, I think you find it uh, challenging to go to a lender to, you know, for uh, a lease or one uh, lease title, which is 30 or square meters or less, but, you know, 38, 40 square meters. That's the minimum, some, the minimum standard. Yeah, the space yeah minimum standard. Yeah, yeah ab, ab, absolutely. But then we go a bit, a bit higher with with, with two beds. Uh, so those those are the the kind of uh, ranges that we, we work with. So about twenty five percent on capital employed. So when we work out our numbers of how much money will be left in, you know, uh, if let's say we we get stuck in there after remortgaging, refinancing, there's forty k. Uh, left in there, we're looking to at least 25% a year in net rental income that we're getting on that figure. And that's yep. the kind of uh, criteria that, that we we use. I mean, Makes this sense. is just, um, um, in you know, individual, personal to us as how we operate. But obviously, if you look at the yields or, or the returns people will get, you know, with their money in the bank at the moment, uh, very low. I mean, of course, you know, interest rates are higher. People are getting the kind of maybe five, six percent on savings or whatever. It's I- interesting, actually. Maybe this is interesting for people to actually look at. I saw this uh, big headline 
figure uh, from what was actually Stalin Bank, like, oh, our interest rates have increased from uh, 0.25% to uh, something like 5 or 8%, yeah? And this is actually quite mis misleading, and people should actually do their calculations, because what it did was it re it, it it increased it from uh, 0.25 to 5%, but only the 0.25 applies to balances up to 85, 85K. The 5 point something percent or 8% is only on balances up to 5,000. So it actually <laughs> works. Work. <laughs> Always read the small print. Always, Always read the small print. Yeah. So somebody who had 85K actually were making more money in interest on the 0.25 than on the higher rate because they oh, only get that yeah, on the 5%. Oh, yeah. Because after the 5K, <laughs> it was, they removed the 0.25 to actually zero. So yeah. it's all no, a, uh, it's marketing and misleading stuff. So your, so your strategy very much focuses on it's more of a volume game, volume yeah. on um, you know risk-managed um, asset values, which are obviously... Yeah. From 150k plus, um, yeah. which I, I think it and it's it's from a risk management perspective, it's great because you could do lots of those. You're not concentrating yeah. investment all into one asset. You know, you could be buying one mm. in London at 1.5 million potentially. <laughs> yeah. You know, or yeah. you could have ten up north, which obviously gives up you more north. options. Yeah. Um, yeah, which makes sense when it comes to. Um, I wanted to ask you, which I think people will find interesting. Obviously, you do the title splits. Um, yeah. What sort of level of leverage do you typically achieve um, on these projects, and how do you structure it um, in terms of uh, what's your corporate structure? Do you have um, them owned within one entity? Do you change the ownership so you have different entities owning, you know, the the, the different um, leaseholds effectively within that freehold? Yeah. And what about the lenders you use as well? Do you have to use? Um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't appreciate that actually you, you can't have the same lender and all the titles, including the freehold. So tell us a little bit yeah. about how you how you do that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a really good uh, structure question. So um, in the first instance, like uh, if I'm doing this with a joint venture partner, for example, who is looking to invest in this, obviously the first structure will be an SPV, which typically will be 50-50 between them and us. So that will uh, be the entity which will buy the the freehold, typically, let's say, cash. Now, uh, within the actual conversing, if you are looking to create, uh, split the titles, the freehold and the leases can't sit within the same the same company because obviously, um, you know, the the uh, one one is granting the lease to the other, so it can't grant the lease to itself. So they have to be separate. So what typically will happen is you will set up a, a new SPV, uh, which will hold uh, the leases, uh, but because uh, that SPV will be 100% owned by the existing one, then there's no issues around stamp duty or whatever when this transaction is done at the, at the same time. So tax-wise, everything actually uh, works well in that regard. So um, then, uh, yeah, that that's that's what 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 will happen. So one will hold the freehold, then you have a, a new SPV, hundred percent owned by the existing one, which will hold the three, uh, the three leases. So you draw up your plans as to 
uh, who owns what and uh, the, the floor plan. So we've got the solicitors who handle all that aspect, create the leases, register them and sort all that kind of conveyancing. And then when it comes to um, obviously uh, uh, leveraging this and mortgaging them, it is just a standard process because you've got a, a, lease, a lease which is owned by a company, you just go to an lender like, uh, you know, West One or Octopus or, or the lenders, even Kent Reliance, you know, they they will lend on a, a leasehold. Uh, a lot of lenders will lend on leasehold. We typically uh, create leases of, 999 or 125 which are you know high enough or as good as a freehold anyway uh, because they are all in-house and uh, uh, structure-wise obviously the people who are involved like myself or, or, or the JV partner will be the same in both companies so lenders uh, typically are not so fast about for that because they're just dealing with this, with the same people. And again, it, it does come to, like we talked about before, the challenger bank, someone just making a call. Because if it, it's a, a seemingly a com complicated structure, um, then, uh, uh, you know, someone could actually take a call. Actually, the people involved here, I want to understand when this was done for this particular purpose. But we will, we typically go different lenders as well for the three yep. flats so simply we are trying sometimes to avoid uh, some clever value coming there and thinking oh actually these guys have just done ABCD on, on all of that's, this that's interesting in that's, a, and that's, a, that's a great reason to actually spread yeah. the risk using yeah. different lenders for, from a valuation perspective yeah. but mm. other than for valuation is that not a requirement anyway that you would need to have different lenders between sort of certainly between the freehold and the leasehold um you, you wouldn't necessarily have a uh lender on the freehold it would be yeah there's no lender on the freehold yeah then what, what yep. will happen is the the lender would take a charge over say say if one lender's doing all the leaseholds so they've got say three yeah. flats in the block the lender would take a charge over each leasehold independently, independently and they would also take a comfort charge over the freehold but what yeah. I've seen recently, and I'm doing a case at the moment where it's a commercial property that's been split up into residential leaseholds and there's seven um, leaseholds. Mm -hmm. And the lender has said anything that I think is six leaseholds and above will be valued on a block in uh, investment value. Whereas if it's below that, it will be done on each individual leasehold. Yeah, and there will be anything above six as well the maximum loan to um, block value will be 70 percent as opposed to 75 if it were just against the each individual leasehold so you're hit with a double whammy one that you're going to get a lower block value and two that yeah. the lender actually um, reducing the the loan to value um, ratio yeah. that they're using so it's something mm -hmm. to look out, out for when when you are splitting and maybe thinking about keeping it under a certain amount to, to be able to maximize the value in each individual unit, as opposed yeah. to block value. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, with, with, with that in mind, if you just go to different lenders and, and even in situations whereby you don't have to do them like at the same time. So you we just do one like this month, and then do another one the next month or just space them out, you'll find that 
where you can get the most value as well. I mean, we've had uh, some lenders here yeah, ask ask for um, like to do the the blog, but actually ask us to reverse or cancel the leasehold so that everything comes back on the freehold, which obviously we didn't agree to. Because our exercise was to actually, uh, you know, split this. But it it, it has worked, especially where where when you create stuff like all your parking and everything is separate, some valuers will come and uh, if they're there to just look at one, they just look at the one, you know, whether like what this was before could, you know, it's not something that they uh, they are interested in because their comparison from a value point of view is the similar two beds or whatever in the area. And that's their comparative. Uh, what it will be, and that's what they have to justify their their price on. So there is um yeah value that you create uh, just by doing doing that because essentially each flat can be sold separately as a lease. So you can even uh, if you're doing let's say three four of these, you can decide maybe just refinance the one or the two, and you actually sell one or the other one. So you. Yep. You have all that flexibility in terms of what you want yep. to do, depending on your strategy as well. That that makes complete sense having those um, yeah. those different exits available to you yeah. as well. Especially yeah. if you end up not getting a great valuation, you don't want to be leaving so much capital in the deal. Then you can Absolutely. just liquidate those one of those yeah. leasehold assets as well, which is yeah. a great thing. Definitely. I guess. Um, do you retain any commercial units as well, or do you always look for um, commercial that can be converted to residential? And this kind of links to my original question about having different lenders uh, and, and I hear what you're saying about freeholds, especially the freehold value for these sorts of assets is going to be so nominal that you, you can hold it in cash anyway. So there's no need yeah, to leverage it. Yeah. But I guess if you're in higher value areas um, where the freehold might have a bit more value, then it might be an option. But also sometimes if you're retaining the commercial element, the commercial element could actually own the freehold technically as well. Right. So I guess yeah, um, yeah. in that case, you might still want to have lending on that. Um, but so, so to my question is: Do you also um, do you hold commercial assets for 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 income as well? Um, yeah, that that's a that's a good question. I would actually, you know, thinking back to some of your listeners, probably put put this answer back to uh, working with brokers like like yourselves, because this if if you are looking for stuff in advance, it can actually help you make decisions on what you do now. I'm saying this because on one of the units that we were looking to to do, um, uh, which we 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 purchased, that that same question came up as to whether we actually keep the the bottom um, uh, area as um, as commercial and just do the conversion. You still yeah. split the titles, so you've got the commercial on a separate title, but still uh, keep the units above and. Uh, I'm I'm sure if somebody was looking at that and they come to you uh, uh, or, or or Mark and ask you, okay, this is what I'm looking to do, you can probably help them, guide them, maybe with a little bit of more knowledge, like which lenders actually yeah. are, are happy to do, uh, you know, yeah, it's, residential it's a, above a good, shelf. Good point, because there's not many lenders out there that will do it. Semi-commercial products have, have disappeared there. There's hardly any of them. You know, you've got um, Yorkshire Building Society, they start at 500,000. Shawbrook increased their minimum, uh, sorry, yeah, their minimum loan, but they, they've just literally 
brought it down. Um, and it's, I think it's now um, 250,000. Um, yeah. But it, it really, there aren't many. Alec could do it. Um, Interbase is really quite high. Um, so there's there aren't that many lenders. It's not like where you've got an HMO or a buy to let where I can list off 50 lenders or bridging mm -hmm. where I can probably list a thousand. But it's um, it, the semi-commercial and commercial space at the smaller end is really hard to, to place and the rates are pretty steep. So mm. in my opinion, um, changing into residential is is probably yeah. the, the, the better choice of the- The better yeah. choice, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, we do have uh, one which is which is mixed use, but this, this, this one is one that I got in the early days. And coming back to to you, Mark, the challenge of uh, uh, you know refinancing. Now you 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 eventually you can get lenders because this one actually it's, the titles are not split like it's one unit on freehold. So lenders will look at it. At the moment, it's uh, with the with the Mormon share building society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but typically, I think what they would uh, uh, typically do is uh, you know cap your LTV to. 70% and probably also ask you for repayment rather than interest only. Um, uh, it, you you can finding. get interest only, but you are you are capped. It is going to be yeah. 60, 65, maybe 70 push. Yeah. yeah. That's always an issue with commercial investments. Yeah, that, that leverage cap is not the same as residential, so you get stung by the higher rates and having to leave probably more money yeah. in. Unless you've got it's a, the, it's, a really it's the same on cover. bridging. It's the same on yeah. bridging as well for them. So um, doing doing the um, uh, bridging at sixty five percent, you've got to have a lot more in the deal, <laughs> and then you know it's only when you change it to residential that you're going to be able to to pull it somehow. Yeah. So um, Alex, I'm conscious of time because we're we're nearly an hour in now. Um, we usually <laughs> just do half an hour, but because you've been yeah. so interesting, it's been uh, <laughs> it's gone it's gone way over. But if if yeah. people if people want to um, connect with you or come and talk to you about your training how do they do that uh so yeah they can uh, uh find me on facebook just type the name alex sapala um they, 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 they'll find me there uh, and also even the website simply uh alexsapala.com they can find me and contact me on there as well uh but um yeah for those uh more interested in property networking as well obviously uh, PPN Brentwood uh, is one that uh, you you can find us uh, as, as well on there. But yeah, I'll have, if to, you, I'll have to come along yeah. and see you guys at that one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, very welcome. It's quite uh, uh, a vibrant community that we are building there of like-minded people who are looking to network, and there's a lot of value in the room and bars as well. So it is a good uh, a good networking event. But yeah. Simply just find me, uh, Alex Sapala, which is S-A-P-A-L-A, -A -A, and they can find me on LinkedIn as well. And yeah, just give us a shout. Anything we can help people with, knowledge sharing is, is me. Uh, and, uh, you know, value first uh, is, is what we give. And just uh, essentially help people. Uh, and one of the biggest uh, pieces for people as well to venture into success of their own is the mind. We talked a lot more about mindset and guarding people's thoughts, which is why, I mean, yesterday, Mark, uh, you know, your 
presentation about your vision was was very interesting, especially the the two uh, the part you talked about uh, the vision and the advice from Arnie. Believe in yourself first, and also you know uh, ignore and the mess. Do you know? Do you know what, Alex? I'm just going to reach up in in front of me above my desk. Yeah, yeah. I have this. Oh wow! Which is the uh, Arnie's six steps to success, it's and. Like and you uh, just remember, yeah. you can't climb the ladder of success with your hands yeah. in your pocket. So I love that. I look yeah, at that yeah. all the time. <laughs> that's, that's you have to, you have to send me. That's you have to send me a picture. Have to send me a picture of that uh, after this, Mark. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great. That's a great note to to end this on. So thank you so yeah. much for, for sharing your no, experiences probably. and your and your you know your strategy. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. It's been great to 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 get to know yeah. you. So thanks, Alex. No, absolutely. It's a pleasure speaking to you guys and hopefully, you know, your audience will find that useful as well. But anyone who has any more questions can obviously reach out to you guys. You can share my details or reach out to me personally as well. So thanks to you guys. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That concludes another episode of Show Me The Money podcast, Unlocking Property Finance. Connect with us on social media where we share additional tips, resources and behind the scenes insights. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning and keep making those smart investment moves. This has been Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance.